Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, so my guest this week is David Laney, whose name might be familiar if you follow the sport of ultra running closely over the last 10 years or so. David burst onto the scene in the early 2010s, right as trail running began to professionalize, and he's since put together quite a resume of race results, including a third place finish at UTMB in 2015, which is a pretty big deal, a top 10 finish at Western States, and most recently, a win at the Gorge Waterfalls 100K. So I had David on for a couple of reasons. Within the last year, he switched sponsors and joined a relatively new player to the trail space in craft sportswear. And soon after signing to run for craft, David doubled down and took a full-time job helping them launch footwear in running shops across the U.S. Now, not too many athletes have that kind of relationship with their sponsor. So I was curious to know how it came about, how it's impacted David's running, and what to expect out of craft footwear in the years to come. I also just wanted to know what life is like as a professional trail runner. So I got David talking about what his days look like now, spending his summers living in his truck chasing trail, ice bath routines, and a whole lot more. And before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with David Laney. So David, thanks for uh, coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. So I think it's fair to say you've been doing this for a long time. And I know you've gone through some pretty big life transitions over the past year or so. You switched sponsors, you got a new job, you've been doing some pretty cool things. And we'll get into all that. But I think before we do, I'm curious about your background because I knew you grew up in Portland, right? Yeah, I grew up in Portland, Oregon and lived there till I went to college in 2007 went down to Ashland, Oregon. Yeah. Cool. So what was growing up in Portland like as a runner? Like what's the the expectations of someone growing up there? Yeah, you know, I think it's you're just immersed in this community of like Olympians. And, um, you know, Alberto Salazar was one of my high school coaches and Galen lives two blocks from my house. And so like, you know, I had multiple coaches who were had run in the Olympic trials and it's just like a a microcosm of elite distance runners. And so you grew up in this world where it's just really normal to run a lot and to be successful at it. And I wasn't particularly successful uh, as a high school runner, but it was super fun and a great community. And um, yeah, Oregon, Oregon's kind of weird in that way. Did you start running like tracking cross country in like middle school? Yeah. So I started running like probably when I was five or six years old, just doing like all comer track meets in the summer and running like local road races and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I feel like in other areas of the country, you know, people are attracted to the big four sports, but I feel like I spent some time in Oregon and I feel like, yeah, in some respects running has kind of superseded maybe a couple of those. Um, and I think it's still that way. Totally. Yeah. We don't have a major league baseball team. We don't have a football team. We have a basketball team, but, uh, I mean, they were really popular in the early nineties, late eighties, but like they've had a lot of ups and downs. 
we got a soccer team eventually when I was in college, I think. But yeah, with no baseball team and no football team, it's definitely like, it's a niche town. Like people are, yeah, gravitate toward more awkwardness. Yeah. Mainstream. Yeah. Like keep Portland weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. So how'd you end up in, uh, in Ashland? Yeah. It was the only school I could, um, run cross country and track at pretty much. I wasn't, I was okay in high school, but not like good enough to go to a division one school. I had uh, really high respect for the coach. She was a former footlocker national champion in cross country. And she coached at the university of Oregon, uh, in 2005 and 2004, I think 2004, 2006, maybe. So she's a great athlete, a great coach, and it felt like a good fit. And then did you have any ambitions to pursue like running professionally after you graduated? My biggest goal was to run the Olympic trials and the marathon. So I eventually qualified in 2015 and ran the 2016 trials. And it grew from there. But my my biggest goal in high school and college was to make the Olympic trials and the marathon. So I hope that kind of led into you know, running professionally, but it was really more about just running one race. That was the big goal. Interesting. So you had no kind of aspirations to, I guess, like pursue that any further or like transitioned into trail running? Like what was professional trail running like after you graduated college? Was it a thing? Yeah, that's a good question. So I always wanted to run Western States 100 from when I was like six or seven years old. As soon as I heard about the race, I was like, I have to do that. But I never really considered like running as a career. I always figured I'd work at a sportswear company or work at a normal job and, and race competitively still. Um, but it wasn't really until after college where that became sort of a reality. You know, I just was never good enough to consider that um, in high school and college. You know, I like going to the Prefontaine Classic and seeing like, real professional runners at all these events, you know, there wasn't as much professional trail running. Like there's very few sponsored trail runners in 2005, you know, it was definitely still growing. So, so I didn't really consider that, but yeah, I'm excited it worked out. Yeah. And I know you spent some time working at Rogue Valley Runners, right? Yeah. That was a huge influence in my running development, you know, just having that community that Hal built going to work every day for a a guy who's got two cougars from Western States and just a, a lot of other great runners in this shop. You know, Timothy Olson was our high school or our college team massage therapist while he was in massage school and while he was working at Rogue Valley Runners. So just like a community in Ashland of really great runners and um, it was it was fun to be a part of. Why do you think those kinds of like run specialty shops are so important to our sport. Yeah, I, they are like a hub. They are absolutely a community. You know, you get your stuff there, but you really go there for like that conversation or that advice or that like evening group run or like someone who really brings people together. So the, the shop is an important hub of this wheel that is, you know, endurance athletics. Yeah, I think it's like definitely a way that people can get really involved in the sport without kind of having a, a natural like on-ramp. Like, as you said, like those running shops function as more of like community hubs than they do like places of commerce sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Com- I agree completely. 
what other ways do you think we can like grow the sport? Because I think some people might like think of trail running as synonymous with ultra running and that Mm -hmm. couldn't be like less true. It ends up like dissuading people from getting involved because they're like, oh, I don't I don't want to trail run like those guys look miserable at mile like 80. I'm curious if you had any thoughts on on ways that we can maybe make the sport more accessible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways. I think one uh, is what Broken Arrow is doing, really creating a accessible event where there's races from, you know, the VK kind of is longer than the 11K. It, you know, it's shorter, but it's kind of longer and it's challenging uh, in its difficulty. But, they, you know, they've got an 11K, they've got a VK, they've got a 26K, they've got a 52K. So say you had a friend who was doing the 52K, well, they, you, you'd be like, hey, come to Tahoe for the weekend. You can participate. You can do the 11K or you can do the VK. So I think um, Mammoth Trail Festival is doing something similar. I think these events that are blending those worlds of trail running and mountain running and ultra running uh, will be really, will impact the sport in a positive way in coming coming years. Yeah. Okay. So you worked at Rogue Valley Runners. How did you get linked up with, I guess, the professional side of trail running? Yeah. I ran a race up here in Bellingham, Washington uh, called Chuck Em Out 50K in March of 2013. That was really the beginning of my like ultra career, I guess. Uh, and then I ran Waldo 100K later in that summer. Both of those races went pretty well. They were, uh, I enjoyed it. I wanted to do more. And so then that winter, I ran Bandera 100K and got a um, spot into Western States. And so that was super fun. And then it just kind of went from there. So like brands just kind of like re- approach you after you've had like kind of a string of success? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it was definitely on like kind of in that era when if you want a race, you just get a contract. Uh, they weren't good contracts, <laughs> but um, yeah, if you want a, a well-known race, you get approached by sponsors. I'm just curious of like why brands started paying attention to trail running then in particular. You know, the sport had been growing pretty consistently since the early 2000s. And I think in 2010 to 2015, it was pretty organic. Like people had run a lot of marathons, you know, people have run a lot of marathons and wanted to do something different. And there was more races being hosted, you know, social media drove a lot of it. You know, people were posting crazy pictures of Chamonix. And if a road runner or someone who's done a couple trail races sees that, they're like, oh, I want to do that. Um, so I think a lot of it was just driven by people seeing what trail runners were doing. Um, when in the past you had to carry a giant camera and posted on your blog yeah i heard someone say i think it might have been tim he said that like tim tolison he said that brands pay runners because they can tell a really like compelling story and i think you definitely nailed that for sure and i mean looking at your instagram it's pretty uh jaw-dropping some of the pics you get uh especially in the north cascades it's you know it's fun you get out there and it's like uh just really really big mountains and it's hard not to take pictures of it. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the North Cascades because I think that's kind of, uh, yeah, more of your territory. How did you discover that area? 
Yeah, I think I moved out of Ashland in 2015 and spent that entire summer just living in my Pontiac vibe. And so I came to Washington and met with a couple of friends and we ran the Alpine Lakes Loop in the Enchantments up here in Washington. And that was really all I needed. Um, on that loop, you can see quite a bit of the range. It's just an unbelievable uh, alpine paradise up there. And so I was like, well, there's, you know, 200 miles of this. Like, I, I need to spend as much time here as possible. And so every summer I've just tried to explore a little bit more. Uh, and I literally feel sick most of the summer knowing that, like, I just can't see it all but I'd wake up at the trailhead as much as possible and spend as many hours on the trail as I can. But it's overwhelming. I mean, it's like, it's almost June 1st and it's like 10 feet of snow and it's like, oh, been a really cold, wet spring. And so it's, the trails really aren't going up open for another month. And so you just kind of get crazy, like wanting to get out there but shoulder season is is rough for me too i uh, definitely get that itch so your summers are pretty nomadic no i live up here in bellingham now so you know i can be to the trailhead in an hour but yeah i spend a lot of time sleeping in the car and then i'll usually go to run a race in europe toward the end of the summer I want to talk a little bit more about uh, car living because I think like a lot of trail runners do it what are some things that people don't think of when they're trying to live out of their vehicle yeah, I think the thing I didn't think of, I just used to like throw all my food in one corner and kind of, and I'd maybe throw it in like a garbage bag or a grocery bag. Or something. And then one night in the middle of the night, like I woke up like a rat or like a mouse, like running across my face. And then I'm like, okay. So I like, it had eaten a bunch of my food and I'm like, great. So I have rats in my car now. Uh, you know, and it's like a little nice mountain mouse rat thing, but still I, you know, you can't have rats in your house. So, so I had to clean it out. And I think now I just like keep it really simple. You know, I have my bed in there. I don't keep food where I sleep. You just get used to things like that. But yeah, I think, I think it's worth it. I think waking up at the trailhead is the greatest thing you can do because then you're the first one on the trail and you have the first few hours by yourself. Do you still have uh, that Pontiac? No, I sold it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you in now? It, it, uh, just a normal truck. Yeah, so I'm, I can sleep in the back, which I can actually stretch out, which is nice. So what do you do when, I guess, you're not running, especially when you were running um, your main job? Because I know things have changed since then. But I think a lot of people, I get questions a lot just about, like, what do professional runners do when they're not running? Because, you know, you can only push your body to a certain extent. And I think for a lot of running, like, it's the recovery where the fitness gains are made. So I'm curious, like, yeah, how do you balance running with, like, the rest of your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, now I have like a full-time job. So, you know, I work out in the morning and work out in the afternoon, but in the middle I'm sitting in front of a computer and live like a normal person. Uh, so not very exciting. It, before I had a normal job and I was on the road a lot, you know, like it's a full-time job to just live in your car or whatever. Um, or even, you know, even if I had an apartment for a while, you know, get up, make food, go work out do a whole recovery session, you know, by then it's noon, you know, you do, you've done an hour of recovery, three hour workout, getting to and from the workout, making breakfast, like, so your day starts at like noon. And then if you're like, okay, I've had a three hour workout, I'm gonna have a nap. Pretty soon by two o'clock, all you've done is work out and take a nap. 
Uh, and then if you have a second workout or you need to do some work or you, you know, coaching a few people or, um, you know, have sponsor commitments, you know, do an hour or two on the computer, go to bed at eight o'clock, your day's almost done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's great to have a full-time job and have something you're working toward and have a little bit more structured life than just training and sleeping. Um, but yeah, it's, you end up with a full day, even if you don't have a if when you're just training full time. So do you have any uh, other like hobbies or interests of note that people should know about? Uh, I read, I try and read a lot of books. Uh, I like just going hiking, you know, even if I'm not running, I just like to be outside scrambling around, um, ride a road bike, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mostly outside. Stuff. It's funny how like hiking and running are so like drastically different experiences. Cause like it's mm-hmm. the same kind totally. of motion, but they're yeah. occupy a different headspace. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Hiking is way more fun. <laughs> it really is. And I think that like some of my running as of late has been uh, trying to find excuses to hike, <laughs> just finding like mm-hmm. the, the, the steepest stuff that I, like I can't run up. But so you mentioned something about uh, coaching folks, because I know mm-hmm. you started a coaching business like a while ago, right? Yeah. in like 2015, I'm not not as doing that right now. Just because the job with craft is full time, um, but yeah, it was super fun working with and mentoring athletes, and just getting like, kind of what we talked about, getting a lot of people who have run a road race or run a half marathon uh, into doing a trail race or a mountain race or a fifty k. Uh, that's super rewarding and uh, fun for everybody. Do you think that helps your own running to kind of like know the position uh, of a coach? Yeah, absolutely. It makes a huge difference just having that second brain kind of the thinking of things in a slightly different perspective. Um, So I do want to talk about uh, your 2015 UTMB because I know that was a pretty like pivotal moment in your running career. I've heard you talk about it before and I'm wondering if you could, yeah, kind of set that scene up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I moved out of my apartment in Ashland in Right after Western States, the day after Western States, and spent the entire summer on the road, hanging out in mountain towns and climbing a lot, uh, like running, like running uphill, not rock climbing, and just like getting as much vert as possible, spending a ton of time on the, like spending most of the day every day on the trail. And that was something new to me. I had previous to that, I trained primarily like a marathoner and incorporated uphill workouts like really intentionally I had not just spent an entire day running in the mountains and so that's what I did for most of the summer uh and then got over to Europe and it was like it was my second or third time over there but Chamonix's different um everything's just bigger and steeper and like it's just a different mindset like this (laughs) Like, that town is just different. Um, And so it was really cool to, like, kind of get exposed to that and start thinking a little bit differently in that way. Um, And just, like, running 100 miles is is absolutely normal. Like, here you hear, oh, I don't like driving that far. Oh, you're insane. In Shyam, it's like, oh, yes, of course, UTMB. Oh, yes, I've, I've done this. I've run around the mountain. You know, it's like you can just talk to some random stranger who like can immediately know what you're talking about and can like challenge you in a, 
in the way like oh yeah this is kind of normal uh, and so that's super fun and so how'd the race play out yeah you know i think going into it i had absolutely no idea i you know i was like maybe i could be top 10 that'd be amazing but i just knew it was going to be a battle and my only goal was to finish and i really thought that was going to be pretty hard uh you know i'd never run a race that long before uh and i had absolutely no idea what i was getting into like i knew that it was 100 it's like 110 miles it's not 100 it's not 100 miles and it's it's just like different you know running all night it's it's super it's awesome but it's just different and so get to halfway and i'm in like i don't know maybe 30th place or something uh and then i just like really enjoyed the last 50 miles it's just like yeah it's hard to put it into words but um yeah i think it's just a, it's just like a really special right everybody should go over and do a loop around mont blanc i'm not saying run utmb that's whatever you can do it or not but everybody should run around the mountain with a guide service or by themselves at least once yeah at least for the refugios right absolutely it's yeah did that race kind of change your relationship to running at all yeah, I got really messed up afterwards. <laughs> I would say for like two months, it was pretty hard to get out of bed. Uh, I couldn't feel my feet. I had like really bad nerve issues. I couldn't do anything pretty much for two months. I would go to the, I would go on a run in the morning. I would go to the park and I would sit in the park <laughs> for like five hours. And that's pretty much what I did every day for two months. I got just, my body was totally destroyed. Yeah. And my brain was destroyed. Yeah. So how did you handle that mentally? Because I mean, your profession is to run, right? And when you, when that's taken away, like I know some people deal with that and it's like no biggie, but it hits other people differently. How, how did you handle it? Yeah, I was still working. I mean, I was still running every day. Um, just felt pretty bad. I should have just rested, but you know, you learn. I just knew, fortunately I knew it was from going into such chemical or physical debt during that race. So it was very clear why I was feeling the way I was, which for me was very helpful. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I felt bad, but there, I wasn't in despair because it was like, well, I did this thing that damaged my brain or whatever, you know, and it will heal itself. I just have to sit here in the park for two months. <laughs> and it's a really pretty park, so it's fine. Yeah, well, it seems like you've, you've rebounded quite well since then. You've had like a lot of success. Yeah, you know, it's always up and down. So that's like the, I don't know if it's the point, but it is sort of the point of the race itself and the cycle of racing. You know, you're going to have bad events and, um, and some will go really well and most will be somewhere in the middle. And How did you handle the pandemic when there were no races? Yeah, you know, honestly... I don't mind not racing. Uh, you know, I really enjoy training. And so if somebody says you don't have to race for six months, you can just go hang out in the mountains. Uh, it didn't, that, that, you know, it was an incredibly tragic event, but the part of not racing didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I think a lot of people did a lot more exploring during the pandemic. And I think, I think that is, you know, part of the silver lining of that, you know, just forcing people to get outside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was cool to see so many more people you know, I mean, the trails were crowded, which has pros and cons, but, um, but yeah, it's great to have more people out. Yeah. I was working at a, a running shop at the time and we 
had so much business because all these people, you know, couldn't go to the gym. So they're getting into running. I'd like to think there's probably healthier ways to encourage folks to start to run. But, you know, I think it is, it is it was in some ways good for the sport. Yeah. So I know that you did run 100 miles during the pandemic, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk so, about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I forget really what the like, I don't I've always wanted to run 100 miler a flat, fast 100-miler in my hometown of Portland. Uh, there's a really nice four-mile loop on the waterfront. And so I was like, I'll do 25 loops. Uh, I'll just start when I want to. Like, it'll just be, I'll take my phone, I'll take video. Like, I'm not going to race it. I'm just going to see if I can run, like, you know, 13 hours, 14 hours, and just, like, go do this thing. Uh, and then, so we raised money for Charity Water, which is an organization that brings clean water, like the developing world. So like a 700 million people on the planet don't have access to clean water. So that's been something that's always um, like a cause I've been, I don't know, like um, it's been really important to me. And so that's kind of where we donated money and we ended up raising like $7,000. So it was super Super exciting. Do you think your attitude towards running that distance changed because you weren't in a race setting? Yeah, it actually, I was much more relaxed about it, much more casual. And I was able to eat better than I have ever in a race. And so I did learn things from that about taking time. You know, I had an aid station every four miles. Uh, I just had a bunch of food in the back of my truck. And my dad was there like pouring Coke and cutting watermelon. And so... I was able to eat super well all day, had no bonk issues, had no stomach issues. Uh, it was a hot, it was a pretty hot day. And I usually have stomach issues if it's really hot. Um, so that was a great learning experience. Just kind of like relax a little bit, take your time a little bit more. Um, taking the pressure off was fun. Do you think that has informed how you race now? Like, are you a better eater? Yeah, a little bit. So I think the biggest thing is realizing how kind of realizing how much effort and eating correspond. Uh, so for me, when I'm eating, I need to relax just a little bit. So maybe if I'm running 10 minute pace, I need to run 1030 pace or 11 minute pace for a couple miles while I'm eating. And then I can go back to running faster, but the eating and the pace need to be inverse. Gotcha. Okay. So I think it's a good time to transition into what you have going on now uh, with craft sportswear. How did that relationship start? Yeah. So I got a, an email from Tommy Rivers and I don't know when. Um, and he's like, would you be interested in running for craft? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then as my Nike contract was winding down, craft um, sent over an offer and it was I was really excited about it, and I was excited about what they were doing with Tommy, and I had you know known about the brand for a long time, and so um, you know we had those conversations, and it turned out to be a great fit. So it's been super fun running for them for two years now. Just this past fall, uh, six months ago or so, uh, I was at our Boston office, and they were talking about needing to hire a tech rep, and they were asking me if I knew anyone, and I was like, yeah. I would do it. Like, it'd be really fun. So basically my job is now going around and visiting our retail stores. So San Francisco Running Company is one. 
and doing a group run and doing a clinic with the sales staff and just kind of like creating a little bit of community around craft footwear and apparel, but footwear primarily is my job. And yeah, it's been it's been really successful. It's been super fun and the shoes are great. So yeah, it's an easy gig. Can you tell me a little bit more just about craft as a brand? Because I know that yeah. a lot of people just associate them with, with apparel, but they make some pretty sweet trail shoes too. Absolutely. Yeah. So we started creating footwear in 2019. And in 2020, 2021, we sold primarily online on our websites. And so we launched it in stores this year. Um, But in 2019, they partnered with Tommy. And he wanted to create a shoe that was really durable and really versatile. So something that would be good on a variety of terrain, kind of a gravel bike, and something that would last a long. And so we came out with the CTM Ultra and the CTM Ultra Carbon. I should have grabbed some um but kind of our two uh premier shoes and then the race rebel so that's the all black um tommy ribs on the side uh road racing shoe and so those were the three we started with and we've added a couple trail models and a couple road models since then but we're trying to really redefine that category of like door to trail hybrid type shoes most of us run a variety, you know, run some road, some trail, some fire road, dirt road, some single track. And so that CTM Ultra is really that gravel bike of our line, a shoe that's lightweight, but also durable, and that's responsive, but also stable. Um, so kind of that shoe of and rather than but. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I know we've reviewed the CTM Ultra Carbon, I believe. And uh, yeah, it kind of lined up with everything you just said about it. Cool. Yeah, that's great. What's your kind of go-to shoe for on most runs? Yeah, I, yeah, I do most of my running in the CTM Ultra on trail. And then on road, I wrote, uh, run in a shoe called the Pro Endurance. It's kind of our um, like elastomer foam. So it's those little beads um, of... TPE, like thermoplastic elastomer. So it's a really responsive, lightweight foam. And that's a new shoe just launched in um, May 1st. And then I do most of my workouts in the Race Rebel, which serves our road racing flat. Does that shoe have a plate in it at all? It does, yeah. The Race Rebel has a carbon plate as well. So it's it's got a fork in the toe. So it gives a little bit more, um, it's a little more stable, I would say, than some of the carbon plated shoes yeah i think that's been my main gripe with a lot of carbon plated trail shoes is that Mm -hmm. they remove a bit of the ground feel which i think is like should be prioritized in a lot of trail running shoes and absolutely on like technical terrain i i feel a little unstable so it's cool seeing yeah models like that as well as the hoka tecton x having like a dual suspension plate or a kind of split plate um, to allow for a bit more flexibility how much input do you have in, I guess, the shoe design? Yeah, so uh, I talked to the designer quite a bit. We're on Zoom all the time. He lives in LA, uh, and we just spent a week in Sweden together uh, at our corporate office. You know, the shoes are baked about a year in advance. So we're working on 2023 and 2024 shoes right now. Um, but the team has a lot of, a lot of feedback on the shoes. We usually have a zoom call about once a quarter 
and kind of see where things are and see where they're going and get some feedback based on prototypes. So have you always been pretty, uh, uh, into like shoes and shoe culture? Yeah. You know, growing up in like, uh, Portland, it's just like headquarters of so many footwear giants. Uh, I started, I made a shoe as like a fifth grade project out of a basketball Jersey, uh, a, like a foam thermarest, like the old school foam times and, uh, the rubber from a construction cone. Like I cut out, cut the construction cone in the shape of like an outsole. It's pretty good. It's decent rubber. Um, so yeah, I've always been into like messing around with shoes. I love that. Yeah. Craft needs to let you, uh, let you come up with something then. Yeah. We're working on a few things. That'll be fun. Cool. Yeah. I know in the past, like a lot of folks I've talked to have like tried to transplant like the outsole from one shoe onto another. Have you played around with that at all? Yeah, absolutely. So the, first trail shoe I ever made, I got a mountain bike tire and cut out like, um, like the strips from the lugs and shaped them all in this. I wish I still had the shoe. I threw it out, but yeah, I've, I've done all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fun. And making Franken shoes is always entertaining. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about ice baths because your social media presence is, is full of you in a big bucket of ice with, um, yeah, a craft shoe. And I think that is like a very genius way to, to promote the shoes. Is that just for, you know, kind of kicks or do you find a lot of like recovery benefits from ice baths? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've been ice bathing most, like most of my life. I just have been drawn to it. Um, I would say... I do believe there are recovery benefits. I feel like my body feels better. The science says yes and no, like it's super split. And so I would, I've, I don't argue at all that it is actually beneficial. What I know it is beneficial is you're doing something every single day that is physically uncomfortable, very physically uncomfortable. And people would say, well, going on a run is physically uncomfortable. And I would say, well, it's, Probably not. Like at some level, going on a run just feels good. It's not uncomfortable anymore. And going on a run or going on a bike ride or doing push ups until you are physically uncomfortable uh, is going to make you so sore that the next day you can't do that every single day. But getting in an ice bath has no real recovery. Like you don't have to re- recover from ice bathing except for a few minutes of warming up. So you're doing something you really hate doing every day that's physically uncomfortable, that doesn't have any negative benefits. So you're training your mind to make the decision to do something you don't want to do every single day. Right. And then getting in and staying in when your brain is telling you to get out. So for me, it's way more about the mind than any. I think there are benefits. Maybe there are, you know. Yeah. But I got That's I got to imagine it it helps you like in the middle of a race. I mean maybe like subconsciously, but you're essentially doing the same thing when you're running like 100 miles too. You're like exactly. forcing your your body to do something that it doesn't really want to do. Exactly. Yeah. That's sweet. Um yeah. cool. So I I do want to talk a little bit about what you have going on this year. Yeah. So the main goal is UTMB in August and Desert Solstice either 100 or 24 hour in December. But those are the two big goals. So the summer we'll just be getting ready ready for UTMB. 
And then I'm assuming the fall will kind of be recovering from UTMB and probably getting ready for the 24 hour at desert solstice. It seems like you have a, a perfect place to train for UTMB in the North Cascades. Cause I think from a like visual standpoint, the two look very similar sometimes. They do. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny though. Um, the, tr- the trails I would say in terms of terrain are pretty similar, but in Chamonix again, they build trails at like seven to 800 feet climbing per mile. And here they build them at like, some are that steep, but most of them are like three to 400 feet. So they're twice as steep in Europe. So that North Cascades are great, but to really train, like it's, it's difficult to not just be over. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at a trail like the Pacific Crest Trail, it's created for horses. Totally. So you just exactly, exactly. Yeah, you just have switchbacks yeah. everywhere. Totally. Which is, <laughs> yeah, I think pretty funny. Um, yeah. Was there any inspiration behind uh, choosing well one of the most vert intensive races in the world and then hopping into like a track race? Did I do that? Well, with uh, Desert Solstice. Oh yes. Oh totally. Desert. I was like, did I run a five k? No, no, no. Um. So yeah. So Desert Solstice is just like yeah. It's probably a whole. I mean, they don't complement at all. But I feel like Desert Solstice is unique, in or any track hundred miler is unique in that you can. And I should. I've only done one. I guess I've kind of done two flat hundred mile. You can kind of. Um, like it, it destroys you in a different way. <laughs> so after UTMB, I'll be destroyed in a mountain way. And running for 24 hours on the track is harder on your body in some ways because you're running way faster than you do on a trail race. The surface is so forgiving. Um, I think I can. I think one can get away with doing both of those races because they're so different on the body. Yeah, I mean, I think... In some ways, like one will benefit the other, maybe. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they're both 24 hours. They both take about 24 hours. So, yeah. There you go. Do you have any goals yeah. outside of uh, like races or anything like that? Yeah. What I mean, I always have um, more North Cascades tr- loops I want to do and trails. And um, it's like it would take a lifetime to see every. It's just like it's tiny compared to the Canadian Rockies. Or the Canadian, you know, like the mount, it's so small, but it would literally, I feel like, take a lifetime to run all the trails in the North Cascades. So it's just overwhelmed. Like, I get overwhelmed seeing it and being like, I have so many things I want to do, but then why don't I just go to Canada? Because it's twice as, it's 10 to 100 times as big. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Um, yeah. What about non running related things? I, you know, I always want to read more. You know, hopefully we'll do another like charity water fundraiser around UTMB or around uh, Desert Solstice. You know, I can't, I want to keep kind of being involved with charity water. I got to run the New York City Marathon uh, with a charity water spot. So that was super fun. There were 12 people got and it was kind of nice to meet some of those people and become a part of that community. Um, so definitely things on that side as well. If people want to support Charity Water, do you have any resources? Yeah, I would say go to their website. Um, They have a really cool YouTube series where a guy, um, you kind of follow his, he goes to build a well 
and you get to meet some of the people who are benefiting from clean water. Uh, you just get to hear a little bit of that story. So I would just check out Charity Water's website, charitywater.org, and Charity Water's YouTube channel. Sweet. And uh, before I get you out of here, I, I just want to check in and see how the new job's going. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. Uh, you know, it's a great group of people to work with. I think Kraft is, we're definitely a smaller company, so we can make decisions really, really quickly and adapt. And uh, I would say it's a community that really cares about its employees and its athletes. And it's fun to be like on both sides of that. Do you think it's potentially a route you would want to explore more maybe after you're done racing competitively? Yeah. I I mean, it's a company I want to work. Like I, I've loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely want to continue being a part of it. And I think craft is going to be part of growing the sport in a positive way. It's trail running and endurance athletics in general. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that they've really, um, been thoughtful of who they add to their team. Um, especially like amongst U S runners, who else is, is kind of on your squad in, in the States? Yeah, so Tim Frericks, who lives in Flagstaff, and Tessa Chester, who lives in Flagstaff, and then MK Sullivan, and she just won Way Too Cool, and the 25K at Canyons, and she lives in Reno, Nevada. And then we have Jacob Puzzi, Tommy's brother. He lives in Cal- outside Calgary and up in Canada. And let's see, who else is on the U.S. team? I think that's it. The rest, everybody lives in Europe. Are you like, and this kind of goes back to when you first started trail running professionally, are you kind of like tight with your teammates or is it like more of just a business connection? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it is special. I think, um, so we got to spend a week together in Sweden last summer. So anytime you have like breakfast and lunch and dinner and go on a run and do all that kind of thing, the team really gets super tight. So yeah, I mean, there is like, of course, a group chat, but it's definitely more than that. It's more than just like a text thread. Uh, You know, everybody will be at Western States, so that'll be great to have everyone together. I think also like, you know, a lot of the people are there because of Tommy and because of the way Kraft has supported Tommy and... So there is kind of a deeper level of like, uh, I guess, perspective. Like it's about a lot more than running. Well, I think that's a good place to end it today. Uh, David, thanks for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Sweet. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to David for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.